But don't just say same-sex marriage ruined marriage or redefining it. Nah, this was this was something that was mm-hmm. this is this is the end. It's not the beginning. This is the Bible Sojourner, where we discuss issues related to the Bible, theology, and culture. I'm your host, Peter Gaiman, professor of Old Testament and biblical languages at Shepherd's Theological Seminary. Shalom and welcome. Thanks for joining. Welcome back to The Bible Sojourner. It's really good to be with you again. I have a special guest with me today, Brady Cohn. Welcome to the episode. Thank you so much, Dr. Gaiman. So happy to be here with you. Thank you, and the pleasure is ours. So as regular listeners and viewers will know, we typically try to talk about either some sort of biblical issue, theological issue, or cultural issue. And today we're going to kind of focus on that latter subject. We're going to do our best to kind of talk a little bit about sexuality, LGBT, uh, even just thinking about where as a culture we, we are, where we are and why we are here. And the reason I have Brady here is because he has, as a graduate of Shepherd's Theological Seminary, started a ministry, Calibrate Ministries. I encourage you to check out their YouTube channel, to check out their ministry website there. He's doing a great job. In fact, uh, you're how, what? How many weeks have you been on a trip right We've now? We've been on the road for five weeks almost with uh, my wife, a three-year-old, and an eight-month-old baby. Oh man, you, you're earning heavenly reward uh, galore here. Uh, but it's been it's been great to just see your heart for ministry, and I, I'd like you to just tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, give us a little background, uh, kind of uh, how you got into this ministry, and and kind of how that all has taken place. Sounds great. So my story began a few decades ago in Nebraska, growing up on a farm. And I remember just feeling different than the rest of the boys. And it wouldn't be until years later when I'd figure out what that difference was. And then, you know, you get to junior high age, puberty. It's a horrible time for everyone. And I started to notice these feelings for their boys. All my friends were starting to notice girls. Girls went from having cooties to being kind of cute. There's a transformation happening, but I was starting to feel those things for boys, and I didn't know why. And I had church background and know that homosexuality was a sin. I didn't know why I was having those feelings. But that led to some really some pretty painful church experiences and how I heard it talked about in the church. Uh, as a 13-year-old, I heard a youth pastor say, it was my youth pastor said, I wish all homosexuals would die. And that was just like a knife to my chest and really hardened me towards God and towards Christians. And so I went down this road of you know, discovering my sexuality. What do I do? I, I believe that I can't serve God if if I'm homosexual because I, I, I've heard it taught that it's a sin, but it just feels like this is who I am. It feels like I'm just born this way. But by the time I graduated from high school, I accepted the world's lie that this is just who I am. This is who I have to be. This is the way I guess God made me. And I was pretty hard-hearted and bitter towards God. I was asking questions like, if God made me in a way that's going to condemn me to hell, then uh, how could God be a loving God? Well, when I was in college, I had some really great Christian friends who loved me. They pursued me. They shared God's word with me. They gave me a community where I could belong and be loved, and I could see Jesus working in their lives. And eventually, my sin failed me. I was living this double life. I was identifying as gay. I was you know, hooking up with guys and thought that this is just the way I have to be. But that came crashing down, and I started to experience some of the results of my sin, which was brokenness and dysfunction. And uh, as I was experiencing that, 
I was seeing Jesus work in these other men's lives, and I became convinced for the first time that I think that Jesus loves me. I think that his grace is sufficient for my life. And so I surrendered my life to the Lord really for the first time. And I said, I don't care what it takes. I don't care what it costs me. I don't care what I have to do. I trust that you love me, Jesus, and I surrender to you. That's been over 15 years ago now. And uh, God's word became real and living and active in my life. I started to understand biblical sexuality. I was being convicted of my sin. And I I have to surrender my sexuality to Jesus too. And so I did that and I walked away from the homosexual life and God's been, God's grace has been good to me. It's been a hard road over the years. There's been moments of struggle where I said, I don't know if I can do this, but God in his grace has given me the strength to persevere with discipleship and surrender and show me that his love is enough. I now have this ministry Calibrate Ministries, where we talk about embracing God's standard for sexuality, and we dissect LGBTQ issues, homosexuality, marriage, what that looks like. Um, I'm now married and have these these kids at home, and so um, they're a blessing. And uh, I'm just I'm just proof that God can redeem and restore. And I think we live in a culture that doesn't believe that people like me, people in the LGBTQ world can be redeemed and restored, and they can deny themselves. But we need to embrace God's standard for sexuality, which means that no one is beyond God's redeeming power. Mm, amen. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. And I, I think if this is the first time uh, the listeners and viewers have been introduced to you in your ministry, I think they're going to be really encouraged by that. And I just know from interacting with some of the people who who have you know been listening to the Bible Sojourner, uh, I'm thinking particularly of a, of a couple uh, parents that have had children who've who've really dealt with this, and, and I, I know that this is a, this is an issue that uh, people are thinking of constantly. And I know from what you've shared with me outside of this conversation, you've just seen so many people reach out to you through Calibrate Ministries and and through the churches. Just explaining that, you know, there, there's a great need for this. Yes. And that's why I started Calibrate. I actually kind of fought God on it for a while, but pastors were asking me to speak at their churches, trying to consult with me, parents reaching out to me, because there's such a great need. And part of me felt like, I don't want to talk about this every day. It's who I used to be. It's not who I am now. But eventually God opened up the doors and I was obedient to that. And we still see such a need. We have a whole ministry to parents. And I've always had a heart for parents as they attempt to navigate this in their family because it, it, it's so devastating to families. So we have a whole ministry to parents that meets on Zoom. Uh, we we dissect deeply what are the different nuances of these areas of sexuality and gender because it affects every area of our life, our family, our churches, our own personal lives, as we all have twisted sexuality in some way and look to people to do something inside of us they weren't meant to do. So it affects every area of our life. And we have to navigate in our culture. How do I interact with my coworkers, my friends, my neighbors who are living lives that I disagree with? What should I believe about that? What should I believe that God wants for them? And how do I... Uh, communicate gospel hope in these different contexts. Oh, that's that's great. And I, I've, I'm really excited to be able to have you on the podcast here talking about these things uh, because you've been traveling around the country uh, working with you know youth, parents, uh, everyone on, on these kinds of issues. And so I want to kind of have a conversation with you, uh, which interestingly enough, you know, your show is called Calibrate Conversations. So we're going to have a Bible sojourner conversation here. Yes. 
We're, I, I want to talk about um, why these issues are so prevalent now. And I think you know everyone would would acknowledge that something has changed uh, where these are the people almost get sick of talking about this so much now. But but why is that? Why are these issues so prevalent right now? That's a great question. And I think that some of these issues are prevalent because every culture has some issues, and this is what is on the table of being offered. And so our kids are struggling so deeply. And as our kids are struggling with matters of identity and hope and who am I and how do I escape the discomfort I'm feeling, this is on the buffet of what's available for them. And so they're being influenced by social media. I've had so many parents whose kids were doing really well until uh, they got in TikTok and then there was people convincing them that, oh, if you feel uncomfortable in your body, then you must be transgender. It's right. like, well, what 13-year-old doesn't feel uncomfortable in their body? And and so this is what is being offered to our kids as a solution to their problem. Uh, and then I see another aspect of what we're dealing with with sexuality in our culture is really the outward symptom of some deeper hard-level issues of self-worship. And when we look at Scripture, you know, we go through 1 Corinthians, and Paul is dealing with, you know, the church in Corinth, and sexuality issues were rampant there. There's, there's you know, prostitution and cultic temple worship and homosexuality and anything goes. And that's what happens to a culture that is consumed with self. And we live in a culture that says that the foundation of your humanity uh, is built on expressing what is inside of yourself. And that's that's opposite of Christianity. Christianity is about denying ourselves, but we live in a culture that worships self and out of this self-worship now is coming sexuality that keeps getting more and more depraved and twisted and idolizing different people in different things in different ways because it's about ourself and expressing what's inside of us, even though we know our hearts have been deceived. Right. Yeah. No, I think I think that's that's a really good observation. One of the things, I don't know uh, if you're familiar with uh, Abigail Schreier's book, Irreversible Damage. Um, oh, it's, yes. It's a it's a great book. Um, I recommend it to a lot of people. But one of the things, and of course, when we're talking about LGBT or LGBTQ issues, um, it's it's different in each letter of the yes, alphabet. Absolutely. But one of the, but some of the things that you're talking about are across the board applicable societally. And, and that's what I really appreciate, because I do think it, it there is a societal issue. And one of the things that Schreier points out in her book, Irreversible Damage, which, again, um, you know, I think it's just such a great, uh, the, the, um, subtitle to that is the transgender craze seducing our daughters. And she focuses specifically on, on younger, uh, girls who are really being pushed into this transgender craze. And one of the things that she was observing in the statistics and in interviewing people was that a lot of times these expressions of transgender identity are found in homes where the parents were focused more on giving the kids, you know, anything that they wanted, like just whatever you want, that's that's a good thing. You can pursue that. Yes. And a lot of the kids, even in their interviews, would say something like, There there was no there was never any boundary. There was never and and I think, uh, going off what you said, I think when you when we're thinking in terms of identity, one of the key components to to know who you are is to have a have an actual perimeter or or a boundary marker of this is who you are and the, these are the lines in which you need to play 
But if that's taken off the table where you are made in, as you as you said, kind of your own God, or you're, you're able to pursue your own desires and worship your own self and, and you're making all the rules, what ends up happening then is, is you just naturally want to keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. Yes. And I've seen that in a lot of people as well where, and, and again, I don't, I don't want to, uh, if somebody might be listening to this and say, so you're saying it's always a parental problem. No, I'm not saying that. Absolutely. But it, there, there is a societal issue where authority is questioned. Authority is viewed as a bad thing oftentimes. And even the parental strategies that a lot of people are pushing forward now is like, don't, don't be the authority in your kid's life. You know, just, just be your, be a friend and support them and, and if they want to transition, you know, let, let them it. express everything, you know. Exactly. And I, I think that's a great point. And I don't think it, it didn't just start with transgenderism right. or even homosexuality. It started decades ago with heterosexuality. And I think we live in a culture for far too long and we bought into it as Christians where the only standard is to be heterosexual. And so many times as parents, we let the culture raise our kids and we're okay with it as long as they turn out to be straight. But now we see where that's gotten people, divorce, sex, pornography. And so I think that where we're at with, you know, gender and sexuality is at the capstone on a culture that's been so uh, focused on worshiping self. And when we look at the foundations of what we've built marriage on, in relationships in our culture, I see people pursuing people for two reasons. One, who are you the most sexually attracted to and who makes you happy? And that's really why the gay community feels entitled to be married to whoever makes them happy, at least in the moment, whoever they're, they're most sexually attracted to, because that's what we've built uh, the foundation of sexuality and marriage on in our culture. And we've bought into that for too long in the church. And we kind of were okay with it because like, well, just the standard is heterosexuality, but that's not always holy either as, as we see in our everyday lives. And so we need to look at a little bit bigger picture of what is God calling us to in sexuality and marriage? What is his standard? What what does he give us in creation that should be the priority in what we pursue in marriage? And when we look at that, we see it's not just about me. It's not just about what will make me happy, What who gives me these feelings of happiness. I love how Paul Tripp puts this in one of his books. He says that when we pursue someone based on uh, the feelings they give us, it's just self-worship. It's this self-love. And so we've really been building that foundation for decades, and now we are seeing some more extreme results of self-worship of and not having any boundaries. And so we've we've erased some of those boundaries over the decades with feminism, with you know, no-fault divorce, all kinds of pornography. It's like the boundaries keeping getting pushed further and further. And now it's like, well, you know, gender doesn't matter and you can be whatever gender you want to be. And I think though that so many of these kids would not struggle with that unless someone had planted the idea in their mind, you know, that, well, you can be whoever you want to be, especially for younger kids. It's like, uh, you know, it's like, well, when I was six, I wanted to be a dinosaur, you know? And, uh, it's, so it's so ludicrous, uh, at the symptoms that we're seeing now, that's like, well, you can let a a six year old pick their gender. Uh, and we, we want to be sensitive to the fact that there have been people who 
deeply struggle with gender dysphoria, and right. it is a deep, deep struggle, and they can find hope in the gospel. But what we're seeing now is so much social contagion with gender identity issues, because that's just what's being offered, and it's so popular right now. And so parents think that it's, it's popular, and sometimes there's even parents who think that uh, it's cool to have a transgender child. It's like this, oh, yeah. this status symbol. But there are families who are deeply hurting because uh, the, their child got the idea somewhere else and at school, on social media, and they've been convinced and uh, now this family is is being devastated by what their child is going through. Yeah, that's such a, a key component is that there there are multiple, I guess, areas on this spectrum where we're dealing with. I mean, you could be dealing with a church family that is that is trying to do the right thing and, and they're really struggling. And you know, I'm reminded of Paul's uh, Paul's pastoral advice in First Thessalonians where he says, admonish the weak, you know, uh, you know, uh, in First Thessalonians five, he he gives different categories of people. You know, for the disorderly, you know, reprove them, rebuke them, but you know, comfort those who are who are faint-hearted. You know, and th- there's different aspects of you approach people where they're at. If somebody's arrogant and proud and egotistical, I mean, sometimes you have to bring the baseball bat. You know, in Christian love, of course. Yes. But uh, you know, if somebody's hurting and crying and weeping, you know, you you go to comfort them with truth, of course. But there's a different pastoral aspect to that. Now, one of the things that you you mentioned and I think this is so so good to key in on here is kind of this idea of social media uh influencing uh the especially the young people in, in with regard to this. And I I couldn't remember, so I knew I was going to have you on the podcast. I I I looked back at one of the latest Gallup polls and I don't know if they have the um 2023 data. I don't think so yet, but uh, the the 2021 and 2022 data that I that I was seeing was that basically Gen Z you still have about 1920 19 to 20 percent of Generation Z identifying as LGBT and that's crazy just let that Absolutely. sit in for a while uh, this this is this is a very impactful issue and that that means that means in your church youth group you know assuming that the stats bleed over which okay that could be argued but that means uh, one out of every five people yes. that you meet are struggling. And I think that's interesting. And that's just developed in the last five years. And a couple of aspects of that that I think are worth noting is that as it's become such a social contagion, it's more of a mile wide but in some cases only an inch deep. And so 10 years ago, 20 years ago, no one came out of the closet as you know, transgender or gay or lesbian, usually unless there's some deep-rooted struggle there, some deep-rooted gender dysphoria, same-sex attraction, they had wrestled with it for a long time and felt like, I can't do this anymore. I can't keep this inside of me. I, I, I need to be honest about this. I need to just come out and, you know, live my authentic self, as we, we see a lot. Uh, now that's changed so much where so much of it is just identity, where so many of these kids who are identify, the, identifying these different ways maybe don't have a deep-rooted same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria. It's just like, that's the cool thing to do. And it's right. still absolutely confusing for them, and it's still a problem, and we need to disciple them and deal with it. Uh, 
but for many of them, it's not as deep rooted as someone coming out of the closet 20 years ago. It's just like, well, it's really uncool. I mean, I talk to middle school teachers that say, yeah, it's really uncool to identify as just a cisgendered girl because you're being closed off. Oh, yeah. And so you have to be open to and non-binary is the cool thing right now. And where it's like, well, I'm non-binary, so I'm I could be either gender or I don't exactly ex- exclusively identify as this gender. And usually with those kids, it's not a deep-rooted gender dysphoria of they feel like they're a boy or they feel like they're a boy trapped in a girl's body. It's more of a social contagion. Yeah. And I that that's that's really helpful how you put that because even um, as as you're saying that, I was remembering the the stats that I looked up is the the most common identification within the LGBT spectrum for this Generation Z is the category of bisexual. Mm, yes. And part of the reason for that is because that's the most fluid. Like you're saying, is yes. you can basically what you're saying is, oh, I'm not I'm not normal because being normal is out of vogue right now. I'm not normal. I'm special. And if you're in a specialized class, you're immediately you know off you know, off limits for, for bullying or anything. I mean, if somebody bullies you and you're in the LGBTQ spectrum, you know, they're the ones who are going to be ostracized. And Absolutely. so it's like a, it's a protected class is what it ends up being. And so all your friends are are coming out and you say, oh, wow, look at everyone's, everyone's being so affirming to them and they're being so congratulatory. I want some of that attention. And this, again, going back to Abigail Schreier's book, as she pointed out that there were, there were phenomenon with certain universities, even private schools, where 50% of students ended up coming out as LGBT. And she said, listen, in no, in no world does that make sense statistically, Absolutely. but it was a socialized phenomenon. Yes. And I would say too, one of the things that I think you, you alluded to this with the social media aspect too, and just as a practical advice, one of the things, you know, we'll talk more about some of, some of these aspects later, but, but I would just say as a practical admonition to parents, uh, and I'm in, I'm in the, you know, we have a seven-year-old, so I'm, I'm getting to that point where the conversations that my wife and I are having are, when are we going to allow our kids to have social media? And right now, the basic thought is we will let them have social media perhaps when they're able to operate, operate a motorized vehicle, like, you know, when they're 16, you know, I don't, people don't understand. I've said this before on this podcast, but people don't understand how dangerous social media is. Absolutely. And I see families devastated, and especially TikTok right now. And it's it's changed over the years as different social media platforms. I know a family uh, where Tumblr was the one that their child found and was convinced that he was transgender and disappeared now for the last eight years into a transgender kind of cult community. And it, it's devastating. And so, you know, we can't just blame one social media. It's like, that's just what's being, the platform of things are being communicated with on right now. And obviously there are these issues before social media, but that is a big influencer uh, in our kids' lives and where they're getting some of these ideas. And there's actually been some studies done where kids now are, um, kind of taking themselves out from under their parents' authority much, much earlier, and their authority is who they're finding on social media. Right, And so they are distancing themselves, even though they're living in their parents' house, they are emotionally distancing themselves from their parents, and they are under the leadership of people they find on social media. But I will say that, you know, these issues existed before social media, so right. we can't just blame that. And 
I think the the reactionary, you know, uh, place where many parents go is like, oh, okay, well, there's no social media in our household. But I've had to say with so many parents who were devastated that their college-age child came out of the closet or uh, whatever it is, and I've heard over and over again, but I did everything to protect my kids from the world. And I've had to tell parents, but the greatest threat to your kids wasn't the world, it was their own heart. And so we we need to protect our kids from the world, but that doesn't replace discipleship exactly. of their own heart because they are a sinner and their heart will lead them astray regardless of how much we protect them from the world. And so I think there's a healthy balance of we need to protect them from the world. We also need to equip them to navigate the world and we need to disciple what is going on in their heart. And I think many times, at least the world I grew up in, very Midwestern, small town, the only discipleship we tended to experience was just morality of this is what's expected of you morally. And we hear about our, how our parents talk about those people, but there wasn't a lot of discipleship of our hearts on what's going on in your heart. What are you thinking, feeling? What is your heart desiring? And how is that reflecting, you know, ultimately what you're believing in, in God's word? And now let's disciple you to something better. And so that's so much my encouragement to parents. I might have jumped ahead there. Maybe that was later on. We were going to talk about that. But we protect our kids from the world but that doesn't replace discipling their heart uh, to a place of just gospel hope. Right. No, I I think that's good. In fact, on that note, um, one of the things I'd be, I want to get your feedback on this and add anything or um, say it's a terrible idea if you think (laughs) so. Uh, But so obviously having young kids, we're, we're kind of trying to implement that discipleship process. And so one of the things that we've done, um, and I think this is wise, uh, having received this from older, wiser men myself, is just really building this framework, not specifically about, you know, sex and sexuality, but like we were saying before about identity. Yes. And so one of the things that we'll often say to our kids is it doesn't matter how you feel. What matters is what's right. That's that's what we need to focus on. And so you'll have you'll have our kids are like to argue or whatever, or, or they say, this is what I want. And a lot of, you know, that's when we tell them what to do, sometimes we'll say, you need to do this. And, you know, sometimes they'll come up with this bright idea or response, but I don't want to. And that's a discipleship opportunity. And we say, listen, in life, your feelings are a part of the equation, but they don't dictate what's right and wrong or what you do and what you don't do. Right now, people really downplay that, I think, but it actually applies in many ways to this kind of scenario because we're trying to train them to understand that their heart is going to direct them to certain thoughts and feelings. And it doesn't have to be, I mean, it can be something as simple as wanting to steal something, right? Yes. So sin is going to show up in all sorts of different forms. But what we're trying to train them to do is, is have this constant reminder that what God has revealed in his word is right. And we need to obey that. And there's going to be lots of times we have certain feelings that we are not allowed to pursue and that could cross the the gamut of of different ideas so we like to try to teach our kids those things um do you have any any other thoughts on that absolutely that is great and because we know that our hearts are deceitful and we go back to that that verse in jeremiah all the time we probably use it out of context but it's it's true and i think though we have to we can take that a step further 
um, I think many times we say we can't trust our feelings. And so I hear that in the Christian world all the time. So they disregard our feelings. And I think we have to um, maybe have a little bit of bigger understanding of discipleship. So as we are walking with the Lord, we don't just act on our feelings. Our feelings lie to us. We do what's right, regardless of what we're feeling or what we want. But then in the process process of discipleship, our feelings do indicate what we're believing and what right. why are we desiring this. So then as we go through this discipleship and we disciple our kids, we should be interacting with them. It's like, okay, you want to do that really badly. Like, we're not going to do that because you have to deny yourself. That's part of the Christian life. But over time, it's like, hmm, I wonder what is going on in your heart that's making you desire that, that's making you feel that way. Exactly. And let's apply the truth of God's Word to that. And so we don't trust our feelings. But we also don't just dismiss our feelings, especially the feelings of our kids. We use that as a discipleship opportunity to uh, really display and understand these are the lies my heart is believing about myself, about God, about the world. And let's get to the heart maybe of why I'm desiring this. And maybe those are some things we'll never understand. We'll never fully understand everything in our heart on this side of eternity. And so we surrender to you know, God's will either way. But I think part of discipling, uh, we don't just completely dismiss uh, feelings. We use them as a gauge to understand where's my heart off and let's apply the biblical truth apply biblical truth to that as i'm also surrendering and living in obedience that's so good yeah feelings are the barometer kind of the, yes. the testing of what was what actually going on below the surface i, yes. I love that that's good and i think a, a hard aspect of the conversation with sexuality especially same sex attraction that I've had to dissect with people a lot is kind of the cliche within the Christian community is that uh, it doesn't matter what your attractions are. What matters is you just can't act on it. And I appreciate the grace in that. And that's a lot of churches that have come a long ways and no, not condemning people. It's like, all right, we want to walk alongside you. We want to love our brothers and sisters with same sex attraction the, the standard is that you don't act on it, and you know that's that's glorifying God, and that is a great, great step. But I think we also need to dig into this person's heart on, over the course of our lifetime, let's help, you know, let's help them untangle what their heart is twisted, and that's part of discipleship on, you know, ongoing sanctification uh, of let's, let's examine what are some of the lies that you believed. And we talk a lot about Romans one, they exchange the truth about God for a lie. And that, uh, um, uh, led them to worshiping creation and homosexuality. So like, okay, discipleship process, let's also deal with your feelings and what you're attracted to and maybe why. And that's a lifelong process. And I think that sometimes we don't want to go there because it, it it feels so impossible. It's like, oh, let's just let's just die to ourselves and not act on this. And that's great. That's a step of obedience. But God doesn't just want you to white knuckle it the rest of your life with these raging desires. But God wants to give you some peace and untangle those desires also. And 
that might last a lifetime, but it's, it's a worthwhile process to become more whole like Christ. Oh, that's a good word. And on that note, actually, do you think, uh, do you think, well, for your own self, I mean, your own testimony and like what you would expect, should we as the church expect somebody to attain victory over same-sex attraction? You know, if they're struggling, can we say, can we promise them and say, hey, you know what, there will be a day where this won't, this won't be an issue for you? Yeah. We need to be very cautious in putting our own timeline of sanctification onto someone's else onto someone else's life. And so I think we need to be very cautious in making those promises. Uh, I think the easy route is a ditch on either side that we get get hung up on. One is that we have uh, sometimes given people unrealistic expectations of, oh, if you read your Bible enough and pray enough, then this will just go away. And that's that's not how ongoing transformation or sanctification works. Uh, this might last for a lifetime, and we surrender and we deny ourselves, even if we're experiencing these, these feelings and attractions. Uh, but on the other hand, the other ditch we can go into is like, well, I, this is just going to be the, the cross I bear for the rest of my life. And so I'm just going to deny myself the rest of my life. It's like, okay, that's great. But then we deny you know, ongoing sanctification and we deny right. transformation. And so uh, that's a tension to live in because it's really easy. It's a lot easier to go into either one of those ditches where we have unrealistic expectations, which then leads to people to disillusionment of, well, I've been going through this process for six months and I'm still struggling with this. I still have these feelings. So I guess something's wrong with me or we make them think that there's something wrong of you should be over this by now. Or this, uh, we, we never actually offer any discipleship to them because like, well, the, the only thing you have to do is not act on it. But, uh, you know, in, in James one, it tells us that the, you know, we're, we're, uh, tempted when we uh, are lured by the evil within our hearts. And I think that a lot of people struggle with that with same-sex attraction. It's like, well, this doesn't feel like it's evil within my heart because I didn't I didn't choose to struggle with this. Um, but God wants to untangle that, and that's going to last over the course of our lifetime. And we should be moving towards more wholeness with Christ and more sanctification even though that's hard. And so we, we have to use discernment and not just have a bunch of check boxes, not just have a bunch of, uh, you know, unrealistic expectations, but okay, for this person in front of me, what is the next step in your walk with God? How can you find more wholeness with him? How can you uh, continue to crucify your flesh and trust that over the course of your lifetime, God will continue to work on you and sanctify you Um on his timeline, but we're going to continue to press into that. Now, I want to shift gears a little bit. I think this has been really helpful to focus on a lot of the personal discipleship issues. And one of the one of the reasons I think it's helpful to talk about this on a podcast video platform is to even talk big picture, help help people understand the culture. So I want to circle back and, and cool. think about that a little bit. Uh, as a as a culture. You mentioned this a little bit, but I, I really want to zero in on it. Um, how how did we get to this point where where all of these, you know, biblically speaking, we would call them deviations from the biblical pattern for marriage and sexuality? How did all these deviations come come around? You did mention 
divorce a little bit, but are there are there other factors that kind of feed into this, how, how we see uh, God's pattern for marriage between one man and one woman for their life, uh, how that has kind of been uh, put to the side? Absolutely. You know, there's nothing new under the sun, and people were dealing with all these issues, you know, since man fell into sin. And so we, we see these issues, homosexuality, everything in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And uh, and so none of it's new, even though our culture has evolved rapidly, and it might be expressed in some different ways. You know, I think Old Testament times, New Testament times, they didn't have same-sex marriage, uh, even though there was— um, you know, homosexuality happening. So it's being expressed differently, but there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, people have always struggled with with these issues. But part of it is just how we have given up on a biblical view of marriage, not only outside the church, but inside the church. And so we've pursued marriage uh, based on who will make me happy, who will who am I the most sexually attracted to? And many times those attractions come from a place of idolatry, of being twisted by pornography. And we see that in heterosexual context too. And so it really has started with um, having a low view of marriage and relationships in our culture. Many times I go to churches and the attitude is, oh, look at the gay community. They're ruining the sanctity of marriage. We hear that that line over and over again. It's like, ah, I'm pretty sure that heterosexuals have done a pretty good job of that over the last hundred years. No-fault divorce, cohabitation, all kinds of sex outside of marriage. Pornography has twisted our hearts so much. You know, half the guys in this country are addicted to pornography. It's such a um, abuse of, of people and a, a twisting of sexuality. And so that has helped get us to this place to where anything goes and whoever will make me happy in this moment. And we take away all those boundaries. And uh, that wasn't a new thing the last few years. That started decades ago um, in our our specific culture, in our country. And now this is the result of this self-worship of I can be whoever I want to be. I can be with whoever will make me happy. And now we see, you know, the new trend is uh, polyamory, which is different from polygamy. Polygamy uh, is, you know, um, a man with multiple wives, but it's still uh, marriages between a man and women, like these separate marriages. But polyamory is, you know, relationships that include multiple people, but it doesn't matter what gender because these people make me happy and there's this emotional connection. And sometimes it happens somewhat accidentally of you have a couple living together and then a female roommate and there's such emotional enmeshment that's like, oh, we're kind of going to pursue a three-person relationship and they call that a thruple. Uh, yeah, the and new it's thing. Just, yeah, it's the new thing. And But that's what happens when anything goes and we we start to take away these boundaries of what does it mean to be in relationship what boundaries did god give us uh we worship ourselves um and we've seen that develop through you know uh feminism through uh all kinds of just misplaced identity and misplaced masculinity and misplaced um uh just what we're worshiping you know one of the best books, I think, on that, tracing kind of the development of sexuality or the sexual history and kind of the degradation of marriage is 
Al Mohler's book, We Cannot Be Silent. Oh, yes. And so he's basically writing as a historian, tracing that. And he, he mentions a lot of the same things that you did. He, he talks about how, how uh, you know, at the, you know, first part of the 20th century, you basically had the advent. Okay. I mean, yeah, for all intents and purposes, the advent of birth control and contraception with regard yes. to the pill. And, and that's, that's a key component here, which, which feeds into this idea that we're redefining things because what ends up happening as now, again, I'm just going to clarify that I think it's, it's helpful to have a conversation on birth control and when that might be appropriate, when it's not appropriate. But what ended up happening, as Moeller pointed out, was that except for the Catholic church, the evangelical church didn't even have conversations about that. And so what ended up happening, and I actually had a conversation, maybe you had conversations like this, but I had a conversation with, with a, a friend recently and he was telling me, you know, I, I met this, this girl and she, she was not like, she didn't believe it was okay to, to use birth control. And, and he was kind of shocked by that saying like, this is just so, so weird. And I, and I had to tell him, you know, just so you know, you're kind of the weird one yes. for, for all. And so, and the reason I'm not, and again, I'm not saying everything against birth control, but I'm saying that help that has redefined us culturally thinking that sex and children are not related. Yes. And so that's a big part of the birth control. And then you have, like you mentioned, the no fault divorce, uh, then separates this, this contractual commitment in marriage. So now marriage is being redefined because sex can be a a kind of a, a pleasure seeking thing without any kind of commitment of children or obligation that comes from that. So you're redefining the whole sexual experience. You're re, you're redefining marriage. You uh, redefine marriage even further, like you said, through cohabitation. And then you even have this further redefinition where uh, children and marriage are separated even more with this this whole reproductive technology uh, environment that we're in, where you now can have children even without having. Uh, a man and a woman, yes. uh, which again would just be insane and just incomprehensible at any other time. Even just ten years ago, exactly, some of the things we're doing now would have been incomprehensible. Yeah, and so, and I think Moeller's exactly right in in pinpointing those those kind of four uh, hinges to say this is why when we get to here, don't don't just say, uh, and and you said the exact same thing, but but don't just say same sex marriage ruined marriage or three defining it. Nah, this was this was something that was mm -hmm. this is this is the end. It's not the beginning. Absolutely. Uh, a while back, I was doing a Q&A time with parents. I'd spoken to a youth group, and we had a separate time for the parents. And it was it was great. But so I, I guess it's been a few years ago because one of the questions was, oh, there's this new Disney movie coming out that's the rumors are it's going to insinuate that one of the characters is gay. I think it was Beauty and the Beast. And so the parent asked, should we no longer let our kids watch Disney movies? And it's like, since when should have Disney movies been the source of truth on what made healthy relationships? It's always this idolatry of, I need rescued, and now here's Prince Charming who's going to rescue me, and this person makes me feel a certain way, and I'll do anything to have them. It's like, that should not have been the foundational truth of, like, well, that's okay to inform our kids as you know, so as the source of healthy sexuality, but now insinuating that this person might be gay 
now we can no longer use that as a source. Like that never should have been our source. And we we can still watch Disney movies, but we should have been processing with our kids. This is healthy sexuality. This is the purpose of marriage. It's not this this person's going to rescue me because they make me feel this certain way, or this is this prince charming. It's like I I, I don't think we realized how far down this road we have gotten of you know ruining the sanctity of marriage. Uh, before LGBTQ came along, right? Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's uh, I I like how you put that. You know, if you're looking to Disney for morality's sake, you already missed the boat a while ago. You know, it's now uh, the culture is going to be antagonistic toward Christians. Yes. We've seen that, we felt that. I'm sure you felt it in in many ways. Um, why is that, and why why do they why do they raise this issue, and how, how have you dealt with this issue? Where where a lot of times, and I know even people, I've had people comment on you know YouTube saying, you know what, why are you talking about this? It doesn't affect you, it doesn't hurt you. It's just two people that love each other. Why don't you just live and let live? You know that's that's thrown out a lot. Uh, how as Christians do you think we should think about that? Yeah, you know sinners are going to sin and. We we can't expect non-Christians to behave in a biblical way, and so we should be providing them with biblical hope. But really, you know, our our standards for sexuality is undermining the gods that they're serving. They're serving a god of self, and people feel so threatened by a ministry like mine. I know I get I get death threats. It's it's just insane. Uh, you know, uh, a few years ago when I spoke at NC State here, it really blew up on campus and there was protesters. There was the news media there. It was just insanity because I'm labeled as the anti-gay, bigoted, hate speech guy, even though I that's, that's not my message at all. But they're so threatened because they build their agenda on the false premise of we're born this way, therefore we're entitled to live this way. And someone like me coming along and saying, I'm living differently uh, because of Jesus feels so threatening to them because it cuts at the foundation that they've built, not only their political agenda, but their identity and their hope and their self. And so it's all about the self-worship. And so us as Christians coming along uh, and saying we can live differently um, is not just something that feels like it's threatening their behavior or lifestyle, it's threatening to who they are because their sexuality is so much wrapped up in who they are. It's not just uh, something they're doing. And that's why sometimes little one-liners like, oh, we want to you know, love the sinner but hate the sin, doesn't make sense in all these contexts because to them, it's not just a behavior. It's not just something they're doing. They can't separate where we're calling sin from the sinner because it feels like to the core, this is just who we are. And that what that's what happens in a society where we um, you know, we just worship ourselves. Then whatever we're feeling is our identity and it is ourselves. And we can't separate those two. So I think as a culture, we are going to face persecution. It, you know, um, as Christians, I think we need to be cautious about that and proclaiming that we're being persecuted because uh, many times, you know, we it, it's all relative when we see persecution in other countries. And many times I've had to tell Christians like, uh, I don't think you're being persecuted. I think that's just a response to you being a jerk, you know, and social media makes it the worst because we dehumanize people. And so we can't control how n- the non-believing world responds to us. 
but we can also take responsibility for our behavior and our attitudes towards them. And sometimes we'll say everything the right way. We'll say things that in a way that are honoring to the Lord, that speak truth and love, and they'll still reject us. And we have to be okay with that. And we, you know, but we can still respond to them with love and grace. And then we can't control the outcomes. We have to trust that God will do something. But we have to make sure that our response is with love and grace and compassion. And we're speaking truth in the right areas at the right time and using discernment over, you know, what is my role in this person's life? And, you know, I don't have a role of authority in this person's life, so I can't try to control that. Or maybe this isn't the argument to win with them right now. And so I'm going to be more concerned about them as a person than just winning this argument at this moment, you know. And so we have to use a lot of discernment in how we interact with people and make sure that we're behaving in a way that's going to soften their hearts. And ultimately, though, we can't control the outcome. We need to leave that to God, but we're responsible for our own behavior. Yeah, no, I appreciate the wisdom on that. I I often refer to the principles that are found in Proverbs with regard to communication and the way that it, I think it was maybe Tremper Longman that I first heard this from, but uh, he he described the proverbial communication principles as uh, the wise person knows what to say and he knows how to say it and he knows when to say it. Yes. You know, those those three have to be there because you can know the what. Uh, but if you don't get the other ones right, you're toast and you can know the what and the how, but if you don't know the when, I mean, it's that, that is an amazing piece of wisdom. And many times I'll have people ask a question of like, oh, this person in my life came out of the closet. How do I convince them that being gay is wrong? It's like, do you have a discipleship relationship with them? Have you earned permission to speak in that area of their life? It's like, well, no. It's like, well, then maybe develop a relationship so that you have the right time to speak the right truth into them. And ultimately, we know that they need Jesus for way more than just their sexuality. And so we can't just, we shouldn't just keep someone at a distance and never engage with them, you know, like a family member, a cousin. And then all of a sudden they come out of the closet. It's like, oh, I need to proclaim truth to them. It's like, well, Maybe you should have been doing that the last 20 years, and maybe this isn't the right truth at the right time just regarding their sexuality, but build a relationship and start to unpack what's going on in their heart and do a lot more listening than you do speaking, and then earn the right to speak hard things into their life. Yeah, I think that's that's really good. Well, our time's uh, running out now, Brady, but I want to ask one final question because I know we have people who have family members that are that are struggling or in this world and usually you know it can it can be younger but but I I'm thinking even in particular of of young adults who are you know maybe out from under their parents roofs and they're they're in this lifestyle what kind of encouragement do you, do you have to those parents in particular that you know are kind of heartbroken and saddened by their children living in in rebellion in this way Absolutely. And like I said, we have a parents ministry because I have a heart for parents. I see how devastating it is uh, for your family. And many times it reveals something in the parents that God wants to work through with them, give them grace for. You know, your your value does not rest in what your kids are doing, and you're not responsible for your children's sin. So many times, you know, I get messages from parents whose children have come out of the closet and it's like, how do I fix my child? It's like, you know, this is going to be a very good exercise in entrusting your child's soul and heart to the Lord and you living in obedience to what is God calling me to do 
in this scenario? What is being revealed in my own heart? Am I being consumed with what will my church think of me or what will my small town think of me? Like, well, then maybe we should work on some of those image things in your life. And that's by God's grace that he reveals that. And uh, many times, you know, I've, I've ministered to parents um, where uh, it turns out that their, their child isn't a believer. And so your child needs Jesus for so much more than their sexuality. And so don't get hung up on, I have to try to fix this, or this is just devastating. It's like, your child needs Jesus. Let's be praying for them. Let's be working through this. Let's use some discernment and wisdom and how we talk about it, how we communicate to our child's we, child. We can have humility. And maybe there's some things we've said over the years that have been hurtful as we didn't know that our child was struggling with that. It's like, we can take some responsibility and rest in God's grace there. And as our child sees us growing in our relationship with God and displaying humility and compassion, that can help soften their heart towards the gospel. But it is a lifelong process, and it uh, requires us to trust God, maybe in ways that we never knew we needed to. And there's a massive amount of grace and peace in that. So if your child is struggling, rest in God's grace. You're not responsible for their sin, but God can use you in your child's life. So let's let's embark on this, this hard journey of um, discipleship and letting God untangle what might be revealed in your own life. Oh, that's, that's helpful. And I would just reiterate too, I mean, the story— of unrepentant, rebellious sinners is not different just because the sin is different. Uh, and and I would just say, you know, as parents, you know, being in prayer and just begging God to to do what only He can do. Absolutely, you know, and don't give up on your kids. Yeah, I think that with some of these issues, people think that this is the ultimate issue that that they're never going to be able to overcome, and they're now, you know. No, just there's beyond hope. But, you know, I have my Bible open to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and this might be a good way of finishing that question, because verses 9 and 10, I'd always heard so much growing up, uh, you know, do, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, or nor the thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And my life changed when I heard the very next verse, verse 11 says, And such were some of you, but you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And that should give us hope for everyone in our lives that God can still change them. And the world tries to claim that people like me don't exist, that we're all just faking it for a short amount of time, that we don't exist. But there's thousands of us who have found grace and redemption, and it's never too late. Uh, today, I met with an elderly man who has repented after a you know, long-term relationship, he repented of his sin, uh, and it, w- it wasn't too late. Now he's finishing his race well. So don't give up on your kids. Don't think that this is the line that they're that God is that they're going to cross. That God is never going to be able to rescue them from. Mm, that's that's really encouraging. Praise God that He saves sinners. Absolutely, as we all are. Well, Brady, thanks so much for joining us on the Bible Sojourner. If you want more information on Brady Cohn, you can visit. CalibrateMinistries.com, yes, right? Yes, absolutely. Yep. CalibrateMinistries.com. I'll put some of your information, uh, social media, and the website in the description for this episode. And if you want more information about me or the Bible Sojourner, you can visit PeterGaiman.com. And 
If you want to contact me, reach out about this episode or anything else, there's a contact form on the website you can use. If you want more information about Shepherd's Theological Seminary, where I teach, you can visit shepherds.edu. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you.